Amen. Thank you, Steve and team. What a great, perfect song for us this morning. Let's pray as we begin today. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Well, as we've already talked about, one week from today is the beginning of Holy Week. It seemed like an appropriate time to prepare for Holy Week by reminding you that we are actually still in the season of Lent. I needed that reminder today. Um, I had the opportunity to take a little vacation uh, to uh, a little further south, a little warmer climate for a few days this last week. Saw some blooming cherry blossoms. It felt a lot like Easter where I was. Um, There were jelly beans at every checkout counter at the grocery store. I actually wore shorts one day. It was not a pretty thing, but I did. Um, It began to give me this sort of breezy spring feeling, and I, I see some tans in the audience here too, so I... I assume that some of you have gotten away as well, maybe in the last week or two. Uh, Best of all, I got to go to church at a different church last Sunday, which is like totally amazing for me. I never miss church. When I'm not here, I love going to other churches. It's fantastic. I I wasn't responsible for anything. No one asked me for anything. It was great. Um, It was a cool church. They were singing a a couple beautiful songs about empty graves and, and Jesus being alive, and I was almost lulled into believing that Easter had already happened. Do you feel that a little bit too? Are you mentally sort of moving beyond Lent, maybe? Are you losing steam in that Bible reading plan that you started five weeks ago, or maybe your commitment to prayer and fasting? Are you in an Easter mindset already? We came back from our time down south to snow flurries and and gray skies, which I was actually thankful for because it became a parable of sorts for me. It was sort of like a parable about my own tendency um, towards Lenten fatigue. Um, usually that Lenten fatigue kicks in at about week five, which is what we were at this last week. Um, at this point, I don't know about you, I'm ready for pastel colors, I'm ready for jelly beans, I'm ready for he is risen, I'm ready for everything spring. But this is where I think we can trust the church calendar. There's actually, just like we have a calendar that, that we follow with our schools and our work, there's a, there's a church calendar that's been, that's been uh, used for a long time in the church. And it helps us stay on track because Lent is not over yet. We're still in it. And it's good for us to fight Lenten fatigue because Jesus still has things to teach us in this season of less, the season of humility, the season of want, the season of confession. Easter, I promise, is going to be here in two weeks and we're going to celebrate it the right way. But let's stay in Lent just a little bit longer in our hearts, shall we? I bring this up in part because our text today does not work real well with pastel clothes and Easter candy. It is definitely a Lenten text, one that should force us to take a good long look in the mirror, one that should lead us to confession of the ways in which we fall short. So I offer this text to you, not begrudgingly. I actually offer it to you as a gift. It's a gift to you. It's a gift to me today. It's a text that has the potential to snap us out of Lenten complacency and orient us towards the somber journey that's ahead of us known as Holy Week, which we begin next week. So, I'm going to invite you to stand for the word this morning, if you're able. This word comes from John chapter 9. This is the narrative of the man born blind. I will not read the whole narrative for you. It's actually the entire chapter of John 9. 
I see some of you have your Bibles in front of you. That's awesome. You may want to, um, when, when I'm done reading, grab a Bible, turn to John 9, because we're going to actually walk through the whole chapter. But I'm just going to read for us uh, verses 1 through 12, which will set us up uh, for this narrative. Hear God's word for us this morning. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was, who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back and was able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some were saying, It is him. And others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and he spread it on my eyes and he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I do not know. The gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. This is uh, the sixth sign and wonder. We're going through the seven signs and wonders in the gospel of John. That's how John structures his gospel around these signs and wonders. We're in the sixth one. And this time we get an account of a man who is blind from birth, where the disciples see this man born blind, and, and Jesus makes this, uh, this holy mud treatment for his eyes. And then he tells the man to go and wash, and he does, and miraculously the man can see. Um, if you've been following along, you, you know that we've already had two previous signs that were healings, miraculous healings. One was the healing of the official's son. The other was the healing of the lame man by the pool at Bethsaida. Um, it would be well enough for us to just focus on the miracle itself, right? A man who was born blind seeing for the first time. That's incredible. And certainly those of you here who maybe have experienced blindness, maybe a blindness in your family, or you know someone who, who is blind, you... You have a perspective. I would love to sit down with you and just read this text with you um, and hear what you would have to say. That's not something I can offer, but we would be the richer to listen to that. But I, I kind of want to go in a different direction. We've already seen in the previous two healings that the applications go far beyond just the, the miracle that has happened, that someone was, was blind and now can see. There's actually an invitation in each of these texts. There's a unique flavor to each one of these narratives, and this one's no different. And what stands out to me as I read this narrative over and over again is how little of the narrative is actually focused on the man who was born blind. This, this narrative actually goes well beyond what I read. It goes all the way through chapter 9, like I said, but it actually continues all the way through John 10, uh, which we studied back in the month of February. But save a few verses, the man born blind is not really front and center in this story. In fact what you have is a procession of all these other people, these different groups of people that make their way into this narrative. And that's what really piqued my interest as I was going through it. Why are there so many different people in this text? Why are there so many different reactions to what Jesus has done? 
Well, much like in the other healings in John, the miracles in John, the focus is on the response of the people who are around what's going on as much as it is on the one who's healed. Because, as John says at the end of the gospel, and this has been the text that's been guiding us through this series, these signs and wonders are written, why? So that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you might have life in his name. That's the goal. So, It's worth looking at the varied reactions of the different people in this text and asking, what's the invitation here? Or maybe even more pointedly, do any of these sound like me? Do any of these groups of people sound like me? Would I fit in with these people? Because here's what I think the point of this narrative is. And I'm going to start with something really cheery. Everyone is blind. Everyone's blind. Yes, there's physical blindness, certainly. But there's other blindness, too. There's spiritual blindness. There's emotional blindness. There's mental blindness. None of us see Jesus perfectly and clearly. I think that we all think we see him clearly, and maybe that other people don't. But I think I want to start this morning just by saying we all miss him. So I just want to walk through these four different groups of people in this passage I'm going to look at the blindness because, again, everyone is blind in this text and in this room. And I want to see where we might fit. Let's listen for Jesus' invitation to us. The first group is the disciples. Verse 2, the disciples asked him. Maybe you heard this and, and wanted to sit on it for just a moment when I read it. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That sounds very similar to some questions that we still ask today. This is an age-old question. It goes something like this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are people dying of starvation if God's a good God? Why are some babies born with birth defects? Why does cancer strike some people and not others? We've been asking that question for a very long time. Now, I have my answer when I get those questions as a pastor, but I know that there are limits to that answer, that it's not fully adequate but when asked jesus told his disciples well neither this man nor his parents sinned he was born blind so that god's works might be revealed in him now be careful this is not to say that god caused this man's blindness so that he could do this 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 cool miracle but rather that the man's blindness gave jesus an opportunity to demonstrate the power of god So just the very fact that the disciples are asking this question points out their blindness. Their eyes were open. They were seeing Jesus. They didn't have any problem with physical sight, but they were blinded by what? They were blinded by poor theology, a poor understanding of who God is and how God works in the world. They looked at this blind man, and they could only imagine a world in which his own sin caused his malady. There's there's no theological imagination to envision anything else by the disciples. There's no ownership of their own sinfulness in this, just pointing out somebody else's, right? There's no recognition of a broken order of this world that this man happens to be a part of. They ask Jesus a very, very leading question. They don't see any potential for God to be glorified through this man. Let's just, let's just get down to the business of whose sin is it. What is this man to them? He's just an object for conversation about sin. He's a conversation starter. So they're deeply embedded poor theology keeps them blind to who Jesus is and what Jesus is about to do. And we too can often be blinded by poor theology. I'm going to take a risk and just name some poor theologies that I hear in the broader church and even in this church. 
God is blessing me when things are going well, and he's punishing me when things aren't going well. Jesus wasn't fully human. God's going to protect me even if I'm reckless. God forgives me, so it doesn't really matter how I live. Jesus is only about love and never about judgment. If I have a desire, it must have been God who created it. God wants me to be a generally good person who goes to church enough. God has a ledger, and he's counting right now rights and wrongs. And of course, disease and impairment must be a consequence for sin. I could add a bunch more, by the way. I could have kept going with that list, but I stopped. Do any of these sound familiar to you at all? If so, lovingly, I want to say, you're experiencing the blindness of poor theology. And these misinformed convictions are going to cause you to regularly miss Jesus' presence in your very midst. Second group is the neighbors. Verses 8 and 9. The neighbors and those who had seen the man before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some were saying, yeah, it's him. And others were saying, no, but it's somebody like him. The neighbors are skeptical. Kind of understandable, right? I mean, many of them had only ever seen this man blind, so they they questioned the validity of this miracle. What were they blinded by? The neighbors were blinded by denial. Denial. Failing to see what's right in front of their face. They denied that this was the same man even, that this was even possible, that that maybe they were denying that he was worthy of such a thing. They couldn't believe their eyes. It made a lot more sense for them to stay in a world where that man was blind and he was begging than have to reconcile a reality where Jesus had just healed him and he's seeing for the first time. They couldn't accept the evidence of the healing right in front of them. Perhaps some of you can relate. Have you ever thought something like this? There's probably a scientific explanation for all these healings in the Bible that can explain them perfectly. Or we'll see if that person has really met Jesus or been healed by Jesus when the bottom falls out. Or these biblical narratives are probably fables that merely just point to a larger truth. Or God doesn't heal today like Jesus did in the Bible. There must be some other explanation. Do those sound familiar? Yes, doubt is a part of faith, but if you're experiencing the blindness of denial, then this keeps you from seeing the full picture of Jesus. The neighbors call in our third group, which is the Pharisees. If you know anything about the Pharisees, you kind of know where this one's going. The Pharisees, the keeper of the law, they were already on high alert because of the ministry of Jesus, so they bring in this man who was born blind to give testimony. They want to hear from him. And he told them the same thing that he told everybody else. He put mud on my eyes, and and I washed, and and I see. That's verse 15. But then, as the Pharisees are wont to do, they catch Jesus on a technicality. They're really good at that. You see, Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, which, according to Jewish tradition, Jewish law, was prohibited. So in verse 16, they say, This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Jesus is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Not only this, but the Pharisees tried to force that blind man, the man who was born blind, they try and force him to denounce Jesus. They say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. But this man wouldn't acquiesce. He gave testimony that is eloquent and beautifully simple. He says, I don't know if he's a sinner. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. So the Pharisees are in a tough position. 
God's law is pretty clear on what you're supposed to do and not do on the Sabbath. There were no exceptions. They could not see beyond the black and white, the right and wrong, the rules and the regulations that the Torah sets out for them. So what were they blinded by? They were blinded by legalism. By legalism. They were more interested in being right than they were seeing and hearing and understanding Jesus. Perhaps some of you can relate. Have you ever thought, I'm not sure that that person is worthy of being forgiven? Or I can say whatever I want because I know I'm right. Or I like rules more than relationships. Or in comparison to them, I am a better Christian. If so, you're likely experiencing the blindness of legalism, which is a pretty joyless existence and where we miss Jesus all the time because what is Jesus if nothing else than a man of grace and mercy? So the Pharisees call in the fourth group, the blind man's parents. This is kind of an interesting interaction. They ask the parents of this man, was he really born blind? Is this actually your son? And they reply, just get your brain around their, their reply as parents, okay? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age, ask him. He's going to speak for himself. You might, have, you might think that parents would come to their son's defense a little bit better <laughs> than they did in this passage, but they don't. Why don't they? Well, John tells us in verse 22 that his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Christ, then he would be put out of the synagogue. Now, to be put out of the synagogue was essentially excommunication. They were, they were no longer considered part of the people of God. So these parents were blinded as well. What were they blinded by? They were blinded by a failure of nerve. Failure of nerve. They were afraid of the Pharisees. They were afraid of the Jews. So instead of a bold and beautiful witness like their son had done, they chose to stay quiet. They were fearful of the consequences. Perhaps some of you can relate. Have you ever thought something like, my faith is my own and I don't want to offend anybody else. I don't want to experience any blowback so it's easier to stay quiet. I need to keep people on my good side. I could bear witness to Jesus right now, but I don't want someone to think less of me. If so, you're experiencing the blindness of a failure of nerve, which is really a shame because Jesus' call to us is to stand with him as his beloved child, not cower from claiming him. So these are the four groups. And the blindness of each of them is so apparent in this narrative. The, the healed man actually was brought back a second time to give testimony and a second time, uh, he, he gives a beautiful testimony, and he's eventually kicked out of the synagogue. What a sad story, right? What a sad example of the consequences of our various blindness. And this is why I said it's a perfect Lenten text for us. Do you see why I'm telling you this doesn't work well on Easter Sunday, right? It's a text that keeps us in Lent instead of springing ahead because everyone in this passage is blind. Everyone's blind. We're blind. We need to admit that. We need to confess that. There are other forms of blindness than just what's in this passage, what's spelled out in this narrative. Maybe fear or casual sin or bitterness or unforgiveness or compromise 
or, per, or a permissive spirit or, or shame. Whatever it is that causes us to be blind to Jesus, we need to admit that even at our very best, when, 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 we're think, when we think we're seeing Jesus really clearly, we still need him to heal us of our blindness. If we have any hope of seeing him rightly and humbly following him. Now that's a heavy message. That's a heavy message. But there's a ton of hope in this passage too. I want to skip to the end of the chapter. These are verses 35 through 41. Because here's what happened after the man has been driven out of the synagogue. Jesus finds the man. He finds the man a second time. Here's what it says. Jesus heard that they had driven the man out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You've seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe. And then he worshipped him. What a beautiful interaction. Friends, don't, don't miss the, the simply beautiful lesson here. The only person who sees Jesus correctly in this entire chapter is this man. Because it's only when we can own the ways in which we've been blind that we can be truly healed and see Jesus. And think about what this man has gone through. Just in 45 verses, he, he was the victim of everybody else's blindness. He got the worst of everybody else, didn't he? They questioned his motives. They called him a sinner. They questioned the validity of his healing. There were people who were even questioning whether he was who he says he was. Maybe he switched out with somebody else. He was pressured. He was cornered. He was coerced. He was ganged up on. He was kicked out of the synagogue. And yet, who's the person worshiping Jesus at the end of this narrative? It's this man. Why? Because he actually sees Jesus. He actually sees him. He confesses, yes, I was blind. And he puts his trust in the one who can actually help him see clearly on numerous levels, and that's Jesus. Jesus wasn't done with the Pharisees and those who were nearby, continuing. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard, heard this and said to him, surely we're not the blind ones, are we? We're not the blind ones, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. This is the great inversion in this passage. It is a masterstroke, totally brilliant move by Jesus. Because Jesus came to give sight to the blind, both physically and spiritually, but he also came to confront those who think that they see perfectly. Now that reads as harsh, right? That reads as confrontational. But actually, how gracious is this of Jesus? He heals this blind man, but then he lets everybody else know as well that they are blind so that they can turn and what? Be healed. He wants to heal Everybody in this passage. So this is why I said if we, if we sprint too quickly to Easter Sunday, to new life, we're going to miss this kind of invitation. The invitation to recognize that, yes, we are blind. We're blind. We don't see him clearly. We need Jesus himself to heal us of our blindness. 
the blindness of poor theology, the blindness of denial, the blindness of legalism, of failure of nerve. Let's admit it today. A great place to just start today, I'm blind. I'm blind. I may think that I see Jesus the right way and myself and the world clearly, but I don't. I don't get it. And neither do you or you or you or you. I believe that John adds this sign to show us that Jesus does indeed heal blind people and that we, anybody, should be counted among those blind people. That's why he adds this. And Jesus came to heal us and to pursue us and to bless us and to lead us to what? To belief. Seeing things clearly. We have no hope for clear sight without Jesus' healing hand upon our lives. In his amazing book, Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis puts it simply, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun, S-U-N, has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So it is, too, with Jesus, the light of the world. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads with me now. Lord Jesus, as we seek to come to your communion table, we confess that we are blind. We don't see you clearly. That we may think that we have a clear view of of who you are and who you've made us to be and who you say that we are and, and of this world that you've created, but without you and without your healing touch, we're blind. We're blind to you. Lord, heal us of our blindness. You know us. You know our hearts. You know the ways in which we've gone astray and fallen short of your glory the ways in which we choose other lenses than the lens of Christ. Heal us our blindness, Lord. And we believe that just as you healed that man of his physical blindness, that you can indeed heal us of the blindness that we have in our lives, in our hearts. As we come to the communion table, Lord, Help us to see you, we pray, in your name. Amen. Friends, it's the first Sunday of the month. It's an opportunity for us to participate in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. I know I talked about not sprinting ahead to Easter. We're not going to do that. But I'd be remiss if I didn't point out a narrative that works really well with everything that we're talking about today, and that's In Luke 24, after the resurrection of Jesus, Luke has a story of these disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they're walking away disheartened because Jesus, the one they were following, has just died. And Jesus comes and meets them on the road, but they can't can't see him. They're blinded to him. And he opens up scripture to them and he tells them the grand story of God and their hearts are burning within them but they can't see him so they invite him in to their home to where they're staying 
and they say, you need to come and eat with us. And, and at that meal, Jesus, I believe, does what he did in the upper room the night before he was betrayed. He took bread and he breaks it in front of these disciples. And I think he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he, he takes a cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And the text tells us that when he broke the bread, and when he poured the cup, what happened? Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized the one who had been journeying with them all along on that road was Jesus himself and they were blind to him. Just as Jesus pursues the blind man a second time, even after he's been kicked out of the synagogue, he is journeying with him. Friends, this meal is a reminder that Jesus Christ journeys with you. Even when we're blind to him, he never stops pursuing us. And he invites us to a table, and he's the host. And he breaks the bread, and he pours the cup, and he says, this is my body and my blood. And, and his desired effect for us this morning, I'm convinced of it, is that our eyes would be open, and we would say, we've been blind to you, Jesus. Forgive us of the ways that we've been blind to you. Thank you for your enduring presence in our lives. Heal us. Help us to see you. Help us to see, as we sang earlier, open the eyes of our hearts because we desire to see you. That's our posture today. As we come to this table of grace and goodness, as we remember all that Jesus has done for us, we also come asking him to heal us so that we may see. I want to invite the servers to come forward. Just a little bit of instruction for you. We're going to have stations here in the front, also in the back, in the back of the south wing, and then a gluten-free station up here to my right if you need gluten-free elements. We invite you to come forward to receive with hearts that confess our blindness to God. Kids, we're so happy to have you here too. We invite you to come to communion. If you've talked about this as a family and you're comfortable with your kids taking communion, if they can confess, I need Jesus and I desire for him to, to be the Lord of my life, they are welcome to come and partake in this meal. If not, you can come forward. We'd be happy to bless you as well and give you a blessing from Jesus, the healer. Come forward to one of the stations. We'll put a piece of bread in your hand for you. You can take of it and then take of the cup and then dispose it next to you. Come. The meal is now ready.